Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Field service organizations typically contribute anywhere from 25 to 40% of corporate revenue. And often they contribute as much as 60% of the profit. And there are organizations out there that are 100% field service, like companies like Field Nation. That's all they do is provide field service. You know, you can redesign your website to be more streamlined. You can, you know, redesign your phone trees so that it's easier to navigate. But the power of reversing a bad experience by having another human being there interacting with your customer, I just, I, I think it cannot be overemphasized. Is it that the systems aren't communicating with each other to say what's down there, or is it probably all of those things and loads Michael, of, loads what's of wrong with things? people? Can you tell us why people are broken? <laughs> <laughs> So, Ryan, we've been doing these podcasts for five years now, mate. Has it only been five years, Colin? It it feels like forever. (laughs) It feels longer, I know. Uh, And there's an area that we've not ever really dealt with that actually, I think, actually has a real big impact on customer experience. And that's the subject or the area of uh, field service and field service engineers and that whole area. Because, ironically, I used to run uh, field service engineers. Uh, back in the day, but more more of that a, a bit later, I guess. Knowing that we hadn't talked about that, I decided that I would uh, reach out to Michael Israel. Uh, Michael is the field ser- is a field service evangelist and member of the a leadership team at uh, Zupa, and Zupa of partners with us on this episode today. Michael's worked in customer and field service for over forty years. He spent the last twenty years in managing both domestic and international field service operations, which includes 12 years at IBM. And over the past three decades, he's uh, held management and executive roles with providers of CRM and field service software applications uh, with IFS, Oracle, and SAP. So I guess Michael knows everything there is to know about field service engineering, field service environment. So welcome, Michael. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Colin. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. And uh, it's interesting. Actually, you were very kind to me because you said 40 years. Uh, I've actually been doing this for 50 years. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. There you yeah. Go. I, I, started, uh, I started with IBM when I was 19 years old, started in their field engineering division and started as a night dispatcher and a parts room clerk. And then uh, I moved on from there to uh, a variety of different uh, operational positions with IBM. I also managed a, a field service organization for a CAD CAM company, as you said, for about 20 years, uh, right. total combined IBM and the CAD CAM company. And then I moved into the software space and have been associated with uh, field service software and CRM software for the better part of the last 30 years. Part of that time was also as a field service uh, analyst for a couple of the major analyst firms. So, yeah, I've been in field service a long time, and I'd say that I probably know a little bit about it. (laughs) Yeah, sounds like it, mate. Yeah. (laughs) So why is it, I mean, I guess 
to a certain extent by definition of us not even having to talk about it. It seems to be an area that a lot of people overlook. But when you actually start to think about it, it's fundamentally important, isn't it? Yeah, extremely. It's it's always surprising to me when uh, people will ask me what I do and I say, well, I work for a software company. And they say, what kind of software? And I say, field service. And then almost inevitably, they'll say, well, what is field service? And so my answer is always, it's ubiquitous. It's all around you. It's the technician that comes to your house to repair and maintain your air conditioner. It's the plumber that comes to your house that, to replace the water heater. It's the landscaper that comes to your house to, to mow the lawn. It's the highly skilled technicians that go install robotic operating arms in surgical centers. Yeah. So it, field service is, surrounds us all the time. Odds are, whenever you see a van driving down the street, it's probably being driven by a field service person that is going somewhere to install something, to repair something, to inspect something, to remove something, to upgrade something. It just is all around us. And I think in a way, that's kind of why we don't really think about it because it just is part of our daily life, so to speak, and we just don't pay a lot of attention to it. The issue for me is that, uh, and why I thought this would be a good topic, is that sometimes with an organization, they're the only physical people that you ever see, aren't they? Yesterday, I just upgraded my broadband, and then I've had some problems with it. So the engineer came out to have a have a look at it, and I was thinking, you know what? I've spoken to people on the phone, obviously, but I've never actually seen anybody from the cable from the cable company other than this guy, and therefore the impression I get a lot is based upon that, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you've hit on a really, really important topic. Field service people are the face of your company. When you buy a, a, a piece of hardware from a manufacturer for your business, you'd probably deal with a salesperson before you consummate the deal and the hardware gets delivered. But who do you see after that? It's always the field service engineers, the technicians that come and install it, come and inspect it, come and repair it, come and replace it. So the field service organization absolutely are the people that you see more often that represent the company than you see anybody else in the company. Have you ever seen that um, video from um, John Cleese? I don't know if you know <laughs> that he did um, oh, yeah. uh, visual arts. Do you ever see that one? I'm not sure I've, I've seen that one. I'm certainly familiar uh, with him, but I don't know okay. about that one specifically. I'll put a link in the show notes. It reminds me back in the day. So I used to work for British Telecom, okay, and therefore we obviously had a number of engineers that mm -hmm. were going out. And I always remember watching this video from it was a it was a training video. It was called "Who Sold You This Thing," <laughs> yeah. uh, and it was of a field service engineer who uh, effectively would go around to in, into the customers, exactly as you said, and go. Oh, bloody hell. Who sold you this then? Oh, they shouldn't have sold you that. They should have sold you this. And it, But it was trying to make the point that field services was really important and could make or break an organization because customers tend to believe them more than a salesperson. Does that make sense? Yeah, abs absolutely. In fact, I can just envision in that video the next thing logically that that field service person would do is probably do whatever is necessary to make the customer happy with whatever he bought, he or she yes. bought, right? 
So yes. get it to operate properly and make sure that uh, the customer knows how to use it properly so that they get the best productivity out of it, et cetera. That's, that would be the next logical part of that, that story. One of the bits, as I was watching this the other day, one of the bits that it sort of pointed out, which I hadn't really thought about before, was typically that the field service engineer turns up when something's gone wrong. So that they, they turn up to fix something. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the customer could be feeling, you know, the emotions that the customer are feeling when they're entering that experience could be difficult to deal with. Couldn't they? Yeah, we're kind of setting up these field techs to fail oftentimes from a customer experience standpoint. Like they're, they're the ones who are going to have to go in when the customer is already angry, at least some of the time. Yeah, I think that happens often. I mean, I'm sure we all three of us have some personal experiences with that. I, I certainly do. But I also know that if the field service person is well-trained, is knowledgeable about what they're working on, and equally importantly, has a sense of empathy for the customer and has the soft skills necessary to soothe the customer. I've been extremely angry at a couple of times recently because I just moved and had a bunch of uh, unanticipated problems in my new house. But I've been extremely pleased when the service technician has shown up and has not only been able to take care of the problem, sure. but more importantly, has been able to take care of me yes. and t- turn my attitude around from one of anger to one of gratitude, right? And that's a really skilled field service person will not just be skilled in the technology but will be skilled in human relations and how to uh, mend a customer so that the customer remains a customer of that company going forward. How many organizations do you think really focus on that sort of more human aspect of things? Because my sense is that they're more focused on the just fixing the bloody problem and limiting the amount of time that the engineer is gone out there in the first place rather than focusing on that. Well, it's an interesting point. I think certainly there are companies still that sort of see service as a necessary evil. You know, oh, I sold the product. Now I've got to take care of it. Darn it. And that used to be the prevalent attitude. I mean, it really wasn't that negative, but the prevalent attitude for many, many years was product is king. That's where the vast majority of the, the revenue comes from. That's where the profit comes from. But over the past couple of decades, there's been research done. And I did some of that research. As I mentioned, I was a field service analyst for a couple of the analyst firms that shows that field service organizations typically contribute anywhere from 25 to 40% of corporate revenue. And often they contribute as much as 60% of the profit. And there are organizations out there that are 100% field service, like companies like Field Nation. That's all they do is provide field service. And so 100% of the revenue and 100% of the profit comes from them. So I think the executives executives in the C-suite have begun to realize that, hey, service is not just a necessary evil. It's a necessary competitive differentiator. It's a necessary part of our services and products that we provide to our customers and we better do it well because if we don't our competitors will those uh those revenue and profit numbers do those come from the billing on the service or is that from like like additional sales afterwards or upsales like how does how does that break down if you remember 
Yeah, I can't give you the exact percentages, but it comes from two, primarily two places. One is time and material services. In other words, if I have a plumber come to my house to repair or replace my, my water heater, I pay on an hourly basis and I pay for the parts or the product that the plumber has used. And it also comes from service contracts. Now, I don't know how it is elsewhere in the world, but here in the States, if you go to a Best Buy store or Costco or anywhere and you buy a new appliance, you buy a new television, the first thing they do, they ask you when you check out is, do you want to buy an extended service contract? So service contracts can be very, very profitable. That's why companies offer them. And for manufacturing organizations, offering service and maintenance contracts is a significant part of the revenue generation that service contributes. Yeah, funny enough, the cable person that came round yesterday did an exceptionally good job at trying to upgrade me to mm-hmm. the next level. As I was talking to him, I was thinking to myself, if your boss was here, he'd be really pleased with you. Yeah. <laughs> because he you know, did the right thing. So, you know, he presented the here's what I've done, this is what I've um, you know, these are the services that we've got. You actually he noticed that we'd got um, a different TV box, a skybox. I'm in England at the moment. And, you know, well, if you came to our company, you could get all of it. And I was actually quite surprised how how much time he spent on, I won't say trying to sell, well, he was trying to sell me, but I didn't feel that it was inappropriate, I have to Did say. Did it feel like education? It felt a bit more like education. I, and I think the other thing is that I just tend to trust yeah those people more because they just feel like they've got a bit more knowledge it does feel different being sold by an engineer than being sold by a salesperson it just it that feels that's a different experience well i think a lot of organizations rightfully so tend to view their field service engineers as the primary connection to the customer Right. And so they want their field service engineers to develop a close relationship with their customers. They want them, they want their customers to see the field service engineers and the field service organization as partners in their success, not just somebody that comes and turns a wrench and gets something working if it, if it had a problem. Part of a field engineer's job, as we've discussed, is to, is to ease the customer's concerns, ease the customer's fear, oftentimes ease the customer's anger but also build a solid relationship and a, and a trusting relationship with them. I think very successful organizations and very successful field service people do that really well. Can you talk to us about the intersection between uh, the, the field service tech customer experience, but then also like the software and kind of process part of this? Like, let me, let me contextualize this with an experience. One morning we woke up and we didn't have internet at the house. Mm-hmm. It turned out that some system had flagged within our internet service provider. There was some problem with, with our junction box uh, that was going to cause a system problem. So it was going to affect other people. So mm-hmm. they just pulled up at like six in the morning and disconnected our internet and didn't tell us. Especially if you have to work using the internet. Yeah, no, yeah. it was uh, luckily it happened on a day that I didn't have to teach remotely or something, but we didn't know what was going on. A few hours later, we called the guy who came out and fixed the problem could not have been nicer. He was just, Mm -hmm. he fixed the problem. He was angry on our behalf that we hadn't been properly notified. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He took care of everything. And then he put it in order to have a cable buried underneath our driveway. That was later canceled automatically by someone somewhere within the cable. And so we needed to go through. 
So the like the field experience was great. He was fantastic. But the overall experience was terrible because of the processes that were involved. Like they had this skilled employee um, who was doing the best that he could, but it was embedded within a process that caused all kinds of, of problems. And I, I assume that that's kind of the next stage in evolution of field service management is getting everything to work well together. Well, I think the key word there is together. Obviously, the field service engineer was doing something that somebody in the back office somewhere didn't know that he or she was doing. Yes. So I think uh, an important aspect of software and software integrations is to make sure that information that the field service technician is recording on his or her mobile device is shared and is shared in real time when necessary with all of the people that can have an impact on the service that was just delivered. So if you've got a field service person coming to your house to, to fix something as they were doing in your case, and somebody else is scheduled to come and install a box somewhere that's going to disrupt your service immediately afterwards, then it would behoove that organization to make sure that they have software in place and processes in place within that software that automatically notifies the appropriate people that, hey, a field service engineer has just been on site, has just done a repair before you take the next step to remove a box and install a new box make sure you notify the customer that that's happening and delay that effort by a day or something like that. I think with SaaS software today, all of that is possible. I mean, you know, for example, the company I work for, Zooper, we have out-of-the-box integrations with over 60 other products, including several well-known CRM products. So the capabilities to take advantage of the technology is certainly there that can enable those kinds of communications when necessary. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I think just from a software standpoint, from a field service perspective, software is really important for a number of reasons. One is it helps organizations to keep track of not only their customers, but also the equipment that's installed at the customers, what the service history is of that equipment, what the maintenance coverage is on those equipment, maintenance agreement coverage is on those pieces of equipment. It keeps track of all the billing information that goes out to that customer, both for time and material services and service contracts. It keeps track of all the costs involved in servicing that equipment. So the labor, the hourly labor rates, the cost of the parts used, the cost of the travel to get to the customer location. So that the C-suite in charge of service operations can do profitability analyses and can look at things like, okay, in, in Denver, Colorado, for example, my service costs on this particular type of equipment are much higher than they are in San Francisco. Why is that? Maybe my technicians aren't trained well enough in Denver. Maybe there's a, cl a climate issue that's impacting the performance of the equipment in Denver due to the, the cold weather and the high altitude, for example. So, and those are just simple examples of the kinds of analytical uh, capabilities that service software can provide to executives that enables them to spot trends and take corrective actions and actually improve their service further. Ryan, we've reached a new milestone, mate. What is that? I now have 70,000 people signed up for my LinkedIn newsletter called Why Customers Buy. 70,000, that's very impressive, Colin. 
That just so happens to be slightly more than the capacity of the first energy stadium where the Cleveland Browns play in Cleveland, Ohio. I've got to tell you, mate, that doesn't surprise me. My milestone doesn't seem as good now you mention Cleveland Browns. <laughs> uh, hey, beating the Cleveland Browns is still an accomplishment. It still is. <laughs> it would be for my five-year-old, but not for most football teams. <laughs> anyway, if you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, go on to LinkedIn and search for Why Customers Buy, or just go to my profile, Colin Shaw, and sign up for a free LinkedIn newsletter. A lot of that feels to me like a bit of a no-brainer. It makes me just wonder why organizations <laughs> don't look at that type of thing. I mean, is that because they see it as a cost and they just don't want to invest or, or what? I, I think for some smaller companies, that's the case. I mean, we, we still run across people that are using whiteboards and spreadsheets to keep track of uh, their, their activities. Right. And, and frankly, they're amazed when they implement a software solution like ours that gives them that much control over their operations. But there's still a lot of companies that are using manual procedures or using systems that weren't really designed for service, but they've kind of uh, made them work, even though it's difficult. So for example, ERP systems are not designed to manage service. Manufacturing systems are not designed to manage field service. Even CRM systems are well-designed for tech, you know, for customer support and telephone support, but they really aren't designed specifically for field service. So I think there's a lot of companies that are trying to use systems that they have for purposes which they were not designed for. Right. And then there are a number of companies that are simply migrating from older legacy systems to newer technologies. So uh, it's still it's still a, a large market out there for software vendors like us. And how do you deal then? I mean, uh, if I remember back to my old days, and I'm sure it's the, pretty much the same now, but one of the problems just used to be recording what the customer had and recording what you'd actually done. So it, it's a bit like the engineer that came to our place yesterday. I was having this intermittent fault on the broadband and he basically went and changed all the connectors. And one of the things he said was, oh, well, one of the connectors that you've got was an old connector that was reducing the signal strength of your blah, blah. And you think to yourself, why did they just not know that when I'd upgraded my broadband to one gig, that I'd got this connector in there that, that needed to be upgraded. Why is, there, why is there still this gap between what people must know that they're doing, that they should be doing, and they're not? I mean, again, is it just that they don't think it's important enough or what? Boy, I, I'm not sure I can really answer that question specifically. I mean, obviously, it comes down to the accuracy of the data. Yeah. And so I think it's very important that organizations have software in place that allows them to keep track of in an accurate and thorough manner, the equipment that is installed at their customer locations and what the components of that equipment are. But where does that break down then? I don't want to get too specific, but it just mm -hmm. makes you think, well, where does it break down? Is it the engineer not putting the information on the system? Is it that the systems aren't communicating with each other to say what's in there? Or, or is it probably all of those things and Michael, of, what's wrong with people? Can you tell us why people are broken? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have my opinions, but I'll I'm not sure I should share them on this show. <laughs> so 
I, I think it's a combination of things. I think data accuracy is one of them. I think the accuracy of the input that the technicians provide when they're performing service, the thoroughness of the training of the technicians when they're performing the service. So I'm, I'm not sure you could pinpoint any one specific item, but clearly accuracy of the data and accuracy of the uh, of recording the work that is performed is clearly an important aspect in, in, in as far as that's concerned. I'm curious about this training aspect. Uh, this is maybe a little outside of the scope of your role now, but I'm, from your perspective and the experience you have, how good is the training in general for technicians across all the industry? I mean, it, it strikes me that many organizations are likely to focus on the technical aspects of it. I, I see that kind of soft skills training tends to be less great in general, but, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Like, is it, I'm sure it's come a long way, but I would also guess that it's still an opportunity for a lot of companies. Yeah, I think there's always an opportunity to improve the training, both from a technical standpoint and a soft skills standpoint. But I would say, on the other hand, that especially the very high-tech companies do an outstanding job, in my experience, at training their technicians in the technicalities of the products and the methods and procedures that need to be used in order to maintain and repair the products. So the companies that I've dealt with as an analyst, for example, uh, especially when they're high-tech companies, and and by high-tech, I'm including even uh, HVAC, heating, ventilating, and air conditioning companies, because some of those systems are very, very sophisticated. They have done a remarkable job, the companies that I'm familiar with, in training their technicians, not only in the technical skills, but also in the soft skills. Uh, I mean, I'm familiar with a couple of companies One of them is in digital buildings and another is a very large HVAC organization in the United States that has put programs in place specifically to enhance the soft skills of their technicians. And they actually have reward programs Hmm. based upon uh, the performance of the technicians, not just in from a technical aspect, but also from a customer interaction aspect. So I think there are many, many companies are taking it, taking training on both fronts, technical and soft skills, very, very seriously. That is very heartening to hear. That's great. Yeah, and it goes along with really a philosophy that we have at Zuper and that we're trying aggressively to promote, and that is a philosophy and a culture of what we refer to as completed service work. And to us, completed service work means simply, if I'm a technician, when I'm done with my work, when I've done with the repair that I've done, I'm not done yet. I'm only done when I ask the customer, is there anything else I can do for you? When I perceive that the customer may have some training needs that I could help them with. If I observe that, gee, there's a possible upgrade to this equipment that might help the customer become more productive. If there's any concerns that I might be able to address for the customer. In other words, proactively address what the customer might need or want next after I'm done with my repair. That's completed service work, and we're trying to promote that extensively. And I think a lot of companies, whether they know that terminology or not, are trying to adopt that culture. Right. Where do you see this going, Michael, over the next couple of years? Any any thoughts of what the sort of latest trends are and where you see it going? Yeah, certainly there's some trends towards predictive maintenance artificial intelligence and machine learning that are analyzing the performance of equipment and actually 
predicting when a failure might occur and what the type of failure might be, and then proactively notifying the service organization that, gee, you need to schedule a service call on this piece of equipment because indications that we're getting from our uh, Internet of Things capabilities are showing us that a failure may be imminent. So you need to go out and replace the coil in that refrigeration unit, for example, before it fails. So I think that's certainly a trend. I think that there is a, a greater trend emerging also for remote support, uh, virtual technician, where the technician on site is holding up a smartphone and showing an image of the piece of equipment that needs to be worked on to a technician in the back office, as a very skilled technician in the back office. And that technician is walking through the diagnostic and the triage and the repair of that equipment remotely with the service engineer that's on site. And that improves the, the response and repair times, of course, and the, the, and the rest- restoration time for the equipment. But at the same time, it also helps train the technician that's on site using the remote device to, uh, to get that remote support. So those are a couple of trends. We had a podcast a little while ago that was talking about the use of the customer use of video or the organization and customer use of video. If I go back to the old days, you know, you'd obviously try to diagnose the fault before you send the engineer out there and you'd want the engineer to go out there with all the right equipment and Mm -hmm. know what they're doing, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And therefore the use of video where the customer can actually show what what the issue is. And sometimes it's obviously easier just to show somebody what's happening than try to, from a a naive perspective, explain to them what's happening. Yeah, Is that uh, an increasing trend that you're seeing? Oh, I think so. It's exactly what I was just talking about as well. It's not just for the technician that's on site. It's for the customer. It's augmented reality and and virtual reality uh, being used by a remote technician to walk not just a technician through a fix, but also walk a customer through a fix. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that is an emerging trend that will certainly continue as well. And the more organizations can do that for their customers, the less costly the service delivery is going to be, obviously. And uh, the bottom line really is, are you keeping your customers happy? And if they're happy, are they, going to, are they going to stay loyal to you? And if they're loyal, are they going to spend more money with you? And are they going to give references to their friends and family and, and business acquaintances? I mean, it all, it all pays off in the long run, for sure. Let's draw this to a, a close and let me ask you one last question. Any thoughts of the, and you, Ryan, as well, what are the practical things that people could do? What do you think to finish with some practical advice of what organizations should do to improve their field service? What, what would it be? Well, the number one practical thing that I would recommend is, you know, get on board with technology. If you're not using current technology to manage your service operations and therefore get a good handle on your costs and your revenues and your profitability, and equally importantly, your customer satisfaction and customer loyalty, then you're missing the boat. If you're not doing it, your your competitor is going to do it if they're not doing it already. So take advantage of the technology that's out there, the technology that's coming down the pike and implement that technology to manage your operations and retain your customers in a much more efficient and satisfactory way. Great. Okay. Ryan, any thoughts from anything that we've talked about today? Just to to not neglect this channel for managing customer experience. Like, I mean, I think as 
you know, you can redesign your website to be more streamlined. You can, you know, redesign your phone tree so that it's easier to navigate. But the power of reversing a bad experience by having another human being there interacting with your customer, I just, I, I think it cannot be overemphasized. One final thought just to augment what you said is one of my favorite uh, consultants is a fellow by the name of David Noren. He has a saying that says, sales makes the promises to the customers service delivers on the promises and that's exactly exactly what you just said in different words right yeah no i think that that wraps it up beautifully right i mean the, the power of another human being to kind of manage that relationship is um it just it you shouldn't be maximizing that opportunity within your absolutely and the thing i would i would add is uh, what you said michael which is just the integration of the communication letting the left hand know what the right hand's doing. And to your example, Ryan, just showed that lack of integration and therefore causing causing a problem. I think it, that would have a really big effect on organizations. Yeah. Okay, Michael. So if people want to get hold of you, how should they do that? Well, they can do it. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, there is a, another Michael Israel on LinkedIn that's a famous artist. That's not me. But <laughs> if you scroll down, you'll find me. My business uh, email address is simple. It's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L dot Israel, I-S-R-A-E-L at Zuper, Z-U-P-E-R dot C-O. And I emphasize the dot C-O. It's not dot com. It's dot C-O. Okay. So be glad to receive and, and answer any emails that anyone wants to send me as well. As usual, we'll include those links in, in the show notes. And um, thanks very much, Michael, for coming on the show today. Been really interesting and in, uh, an area that we should have discussed before. But um, yeah, been great having you on the show. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. And uh, if you ever want to do it again, I'm here. So great. It's thanks, been great. Sir. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.